All right, last week, Pastor James uh, opened up the letter of Galatians to us with two verses and lots of scriptural encouragement, lots of truth that is helpful for us. It, it, it leads us into this book to think rightly as to who it's from, um, to who it's to, and then we don't go very far today. We're going to go three verses in, um, but it's important for us, again, to remind uh, ourselves of what we um, heard last week. You also were um, given some assignment, assignments, if you will, uh, last week during the message. You were given the bookmark, and you were encouraged to memorize God's Word, to put it, to hide it away in your heart. How many struggle with memorizing Scripture? How many struggle with remembering where a truth in God's Word is found? Okay. The, you know, the words that we highlighted, the words that are blank on here, those are some key words as you work, work through this verse. If you can remember those key verses, those key words, and the passage, that's a helps. So you know the truth of what it is, um, but I know that God's Spirit, the same one who um, authored this letter, what we call the Bible to us all, for every one of us who are saved, lives, the Spirit lives within each and every one of us. So he can give us the ability to memorize Scripture, as difficult in our humanness as that might be. So I encourage you to not put it aside, but to just persevere and press on, because the Lord is faithful. He's good. He'll, he'll bring about um, a way for you to recall that, that verse um, when you need it. Um, and so uh, I pray that you would um, just continue to, uh, to look at it, um, start your day with it at every meal, Maybe take a look at it, but uh, there's different things and different practices that might be and might prove to be helpful. So that was one of the encouragements that we had last week. Um, we also had at the very beginning of our handout the modern distortions of the gospel. And Pastor James noted that there was a, a blank column in here. And as we looked at these distortions, um, we were encouraged at the end of the, our time to think about our own lives. The, own thing, the, the other things in our life that we actually... Um, are falling into in the traps of the enemy, if you will, the distortions of the gospel that take away from the truth of what the gospel is. And so I pray that you spend some time praying through that. I pray that you spend some time actually thinking about um, your Christian worldview to see if it was a biblical Christian worldview. Because a lot of these distortions, people would say, yeah, these are Christian gospel. This is a Christian gospel. <clears throat> gospel. But they're distortions of what is true. So if something is distorted from what is true, how true is it? It's not true. These are lies of the enemy, right? So often we think that the enemy is just going to put something so blatant and bold in front of us that it's so obvious. But when they're just slightly askew, it takes away from the value of Jesus, from the cross, from our requirement to come to, to God the Father through Christ, that we can't save ourselves, that we're fully dependent on Christ, that we can't add to it, that we can't take away from it. And we're going to be looking a little bit more this morning about that. So with last week aside, I just want to encourage you that as we have the opportunity to come and to preach um, from God's Word, that you would spend time meditating on it, that you would spend time digging deeper into the notes. Often you'll hear us say, oh, I wish I could share all that I got to study um, this week with you. Um, or there's so much more we could say, and that's true. That's why we can continue to preach the same book over and over through the decades. And so once, once preached doesn't mean that that's the end of it. You don't need to go back to it. So keep reading God's Word, keep studying God's Word, uh, keep, keep persevering in the faith. With that said, let's turn to Galatians chapter 1, if you're not there already. Galatians chapter 1, 
We're going to read verses 1 through 5 to recap where we were um, last week, but also to set the stage, if you will, um, for us this morning. And it reads this way. This is the letter of Paul to the Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, thank you how um, some seemingly um, simple truths, Lord, even just the gospel clarity, um, Lord, how the opening of a letter, who it's from and who it's to, is valuable and important. As we were reminded last week, Lord, this is your inspired word, and it's breathed out by you. It's fully sufficient for life. It's fully sufficient for us to pursue godliness, relying upon your spirit and accordance to the truth of your word, your commands. And so we rest in that, but Father, we rest actively. Lord, we want to be a people um, who reveal Christ in our life. Lord, that the works that we do, people would see them and they would glorify you, Heavenly Father. And so may that be the posture of our heart this morning and the activity of our bodies themselves. In Christ's name, we can pray this morning. And to you, Lord Jesus, we praise you and are grateful. Amen. And amen. Galatians chapter 1. So just to remind us who this letter was from, we just read that it was Paul. And as we were also instructed and reminded last week that Paul was an apostle, and not just any apostle, he was capital letter A, uppercase A, apostle. And why is this important? It means that Paul had the authority to speak God's word and God's truth. Now, that might not seem, that might seem obvious to, a, to us, and it might not seem like it needed to be restated, but it is important for us, and it's important for this letter, because Paul is the one who had authority to speak truth to the Galatians. They thought they were walking in the truth, yet they were believing a lie. So it's important for us to remind ourselves that Paul, this true authoritative apostle, um, was writing to the Galatian churches. But not only him, he says, along with all the believers in Jesus Christ who are with Paul, everyone who was with them, all the brothers there, so everyone who had agreed with Paul, everyone who had agreed with um, his proclamation of God's word was there with him, writing this letter. It wasn't one voice, it was Paul with authority, with brothers in the Lord affirming what he was saying. And that'll be important for us this morning as we look at the rest of our time in the word. When brothers and people with God's word, the authority of God's word, speak truth into our life, how do we respond? And we're going to hear that throughout our message today. In the same way, we were reminded of the teaching that we had last week and, and maybe our failure or um, partial failure, if you will, to not respond rightly or fully to what God had taught us last week. It's easy for us to sit under the teaching of God's word, maybe even to feel the Spirit convicting us to hear God's word to see it on the papers, on the pages of, of God's word, and yet fail to move forward with it, yet fail to respond to it. And so make notes as you hear something. 
because you might be, you might be convicted, encouraged, but um, Satan doesn't want you to recall that as you leave from here this morning. So we're reminded not only that Paul was an apostle, but that he was also a Jew. He was a, the Jew of Jews. He was more relig- religious than most, right? The Galatians are trying to be religious, right? They were trying to add some religious works to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which, as we were reminded last week, is a distortion of the true gospel. Jesus plus anything or Jesus minus anything is a distortion of what is true. So Paul speaks to the Galatians from a personal testimony, right? I love baptism services. We get to hear a testimony of God's faithfulness, of how he worked in people's lives, not only to save them, right? That's not where the testimony stops. The gospel of Jesus Christ is important for us to preach into our lives every single day so that it can be, we can be sanctified with the truth. So Paul speaks from a personal testimony to the Galatian brothers and sisters, recognizing that they're walking in some of the ways that he used to walk. He shares this personal testimony of turning from religion to salvation by faith in and through Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, right? He was not the Savior of himself. And that's what our work sometimes testify to, our thinking like, okay, I can save myself, I can add to my salvation and maybe tangible way. Again, a distortion of what is true. I'm going to have some questions for us. Surprise, surprise, as we work through this. Who do we give listen to in our lives? I said it earlier. When people speak with biblical authority, and they have view into our lives, they have access to see and to hear what we're doing, what we're saying, or maybe what we're not doing, or what we're not saying? Do we give listen to them? Not do we hear them, do we listen to what they're saying? Do we consider it? Most importantly, do we consider the Word of God? When they're using Scripture to correct us, maybe to inform us of something that we're omitting, those sins of omission, not only commission? Do we listen? Whose words supersede others in our life? Are there certain people that we say, oh, I'm going to listen to this one. He's on the TV. He's the one who's got the podcast. I'm going to listen to what he has to say, even if he doesn't mention Scripture, because he's very godly. He's very biblical. He's got a huge following. He must know what he's talking about. My Koinonia group leader, when he leads the study, he says something contrary and something different. But I'm going to listen to this man because certainly he must be right over this other person. So whose words supersede others so that we recognize them as vital and true for us? And this letter, Galatians, is not only from Paul, but it is from those who agree with him, as I shared earlier. We move to verse 2, and it's to the churches of Galatia, right? This is not just one church. It is a, a gathering of churches, if you will, that he's writing this letter to. So it's not a false doctrine. It's not a false gospel that only one church is falling into. It's a whole region. There's many people who are falling into these trappings. It's a huge concern for Paul. And it's a huge grief for the Lord God Almighty. So it's to the churches of Galatia. It's to these believers in Jesus Christ in the Galatian churches. So Paul's recognizing that there is 
there are those who are saved amongst these churches, right? Just because they start to lean and fall into some trappings and are falling into sin doesn't mean they've lost their salvation in Christ. Certainly need to consider whether they are truly relying on Christ or they're relying on themselves. Paul, out of love and concern for the Galatians, personally writes this letter to them. And we're gifted with the book of Galatians um, this morning. When we are cared for like this by others in the faith with biblical words of encouragement and even corrective exhortations, do we humbly receive it? When we read through this book and we all of a sudden start picking out things, oh man, I've started to fall into that trapping in my heart. I've started to say some of those things that are contrary to what is true. I've started to say things that I've heard other people say without even any, I, any thought of considering whether it was true compared to what is proclaimed in the scriptures. It sounded right. It sounded good. It's in the Bible somewhere, right? That's why memorizing scripture and knowing the address, knowing where to find it is so important. If you have something to share with a brother and sister in the Lord and you're not sure where it is in God's word, pause and hesitate to make sure that it is true, that it is from God's word. You can do the, hey, Google, hey, Siri, ask a brother or sister beside you. I know in God's word it says this, or I believe it says this. Can you tell me where it is? In humility, ask them where it is. So it's important to recognize and respond to authority in our life. Right? Are we rebelling against it? It's also important to appreciate the love that can be behind the correction and even discipline. How many of you have had the opportunity or the Spirit has encouraged you to correct somebody? It's not an easy thing to do, right? God gives us some real clear commands as to how we approach that time with much prayer and consideration in our own life. You know, we talk about that speck that's in our own eye. As we move things closer, we start to block our own vision, right? And we need to be considering our own life before we approach another brother or sister in the Lord. But to not approach them because we're fearful of how they might re respond, are we fearing God or are we fearing man? fearing men if we don't approach them. Galatians 1.10, we'll get there. Um, but it speaks to that truth. So on the flip side, do we make the effort and invest in others' walk with the Lord? We might call that discipleship. That's a great word, and it's something that is key to who we are as a church. And I pray that we'll grow in faithfulness um, in that aspect. Men's and women's discipleship, Lord willing, will kick off in September, so you can be praying as we ready and prepare for that, for that season. As, so as we see others go astray from the truth in instruction of God's word, what are our typical responses? Do we gossip about it? Do we look at them and go, oh, I can't believe they're doing this? A question I've proclaimed from the platform here is, what would that sin look in my life, right? Sometimes a sin that's so obvious in a brother or sister's life, um, the root of what is behind that sin can manifest itself very differently in our life, right? We're all different from each other. And people will do things unimaginable to us, right? And sometimes sinful things. We're all different. 
Praise the Lord for that. I appreciate each and every one of you guys. We should be concerned for the person's broken fellowship with God when we see them sinning. Right? We know that the sin is hindering their fellowship with God. Likewise, we should be concerned about the sin in our life and deal with it regularly, consistently, quickly. We should be concerned for the impact that sin will have in their life. Right? There's consequences to our sin. And unfortunately, those consequences don't fall, in, fall within the, the gutters and stay there of our own life. It impacts everyone that we're around. And not only those who we might even have a relationship with, it might be those who are watching us. Say, I know that person says they go to church. They're one of those Christians. There's one of those fanatics. People are watching us that we may not even have come to know yet. Sin negatively impacts our testimony of Jesus Christ amongst the lost. When we testify of Christ, when we share the gospel with others, make sure you don't present yourself as the Savior as well. It says all have sinned, right? Don't say you have sinned. You've fallen short of God's glory, and I'm a perfect Christian, and this is the gospel I want to share with you because it's so important for your eternal life with God, rather than being separated from him. Each and every one of us need Jesus, the Savior. In chapter 6, Paul gives us some real clear instruction on how we are to approach others, and he refers to it as a spirit of gentleness. Now, we know gentleness to be an outworking of the spirit in our lives, right? How many of you would call yourselves gentle just naturally? You're a gentle person. How many of us are gentle with our words, with our consideration of others? The Spirit's work in our lives when we see others and we're concerned for them, when we have a right love for them. It's the Spirit doing work in our lives that we can talk to them and care and love. So when you're sharing the gospel with people who might not know the Lord yet, help them know that you are concerned for their soul. That this isn't just some program that you're practicing, although that's a great way to have an open door, to say, hey, you know what? I just learned this, this method of sharing about the Jesus Christ and the gospel, the good news. Do you mind if I practice it with you? That's a good tool. We do that um, when sharing Jesus without fear. It's helpful. But make sure you convey to them when you're doing that that you're concerned for them, that you love them. And the reason you are sharing this and you want to practice with them is because you think it's something that would be beneficial and is dire for their life. Not only for eternity, but for today. That takes us to point number one. How are we doing on time? Okay, good. We're, we're, we're doing well here. Point number one, opening gospel truth and encouragement. And you'll notice that all the blanks are filled in. Sometimes we miss them as we're, we're taking notes, and, and we don't need to worry about that this morning. The notes are, your fill-in-the-blanks are listed there. So let's come back to our text. Starts with chapter with uh, verse three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful opening encouragement. If I had a letter and it was from the Apostle Paul and I hear these words, I'm like, wow, that's pretty exciting. That's awesome. This person, the Galatian churches, didn't have other letters to reference. 
Paul saying, oh, that's just his practice. That's just, you know, he says that without even really thinking about it. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, typically, um, this is his opening encouragement to the churches. So we don't want to pass it by, and we don't want to be flippant to it. And Paul explains in this letter to the Galatian churches, unfortunately, how they're denying the grace of God in their lives. They're denying the grace to speak into their life with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what does Paul do in this letter? He pleads with the Galatian believers to return to trusting in Christ, not only for their salvation, but also for his sanctifying power in their life. It's only in Christ that they can have true peace, grace and peace, a peace that as scripture tells us, passes all earthly logic and understanding, right? We just can't even comprehend that we could have peace through the turmoil and the trials of life that we go through. We don't even have to worry about tomorrow, right? Today's got enough trouble of its own, enough trials, but even amidst these trials, we are to consider it all joy. How can we consider it all joy? Because we rest in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We rest in the grace of God, we flourish under the peace that God produces in our hearts. It's, a, it's all in that that we can have true joy in our life. The world sees the gospel as foolishness. They see the cross as just how on earth could you possibly trust in some man dying on the cross to pay for your sin debt. And that's where the beauty of this scripture from beginning to end reveals God's redemptive plan for us. It's not just John 3.16, right? From God's design from the very beginning to his design of the new Jerusalem when we'll be before his throne, crying out, holy, holy, holy. It's a beautiful picture. It's a love letter, really, from God to us. But it's also a corrective letter. It's an instructive letter. It's a letter that is full of commands and um, a letter that describes the attributes and the holiness of God, his character. So what were these Galatians doing? They were rejecting or maybe reducing the fullness of grace, the grace of God. And we suggest that all we require from God for salvation is his mercy, right? When we say, you know, I don't really need God's grace. I'm not that bad. Have you met my brother-in-law? You know, it's not like that. God doesn't measure us against anyone else here on this created earth. Who is the perfect standard that we're measured against? Jesus. And that is why, in his perfection, in his complete obedience to the Father, in his willingness to go to the cross, that is how he could be the sacrificial lamb, what we call the atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice that cleanses us from all unrighteousness when we turn to Christ for salvation. To think that there's some effort on our behalf that will present us just in God's sight is sin. So we need to stop thinking about that. We need to stop thinking of our works as anything that would contribute to our salvation and rest in the work of God in us. We don't need to be passive. We can't be passive. That's sin. So by trusting in this insignificant to our salvation, effort on our own behalf, we have false hopes, right? We start placing a hope in ourselves in addition to the gospel, wrongly placed in ourselves rather than in 
fully in Jesus Christ. So a question for us. What discouragement, sadness, and worry does our effort bring into our life? When we start looking at our efforts and we consider how perfect they are, that never happens, right? We never look at our efforts. All we can see is how we've fallen short, especially in view of God's word. And so he doesn't call us to just try harder next time. He calls us to confess, and he calls us to repent. Repenting isn't trying harder. It's trusting fully in Jesus and not in yourself. And it's looking at what his commands for have, have for us, and it's studying to understand them fully and completely so we're not just half-heartedly saying, oh, yeah, he says to do this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wing it. I think I know what that means. No, he's got clarity in his scripture, and his spirit is our helper, is our teacher, and God himself is our equipper. That's why we call it the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of any one of us here. The fruit of any one of us here is what we call the fruit of the flesh. And what does Galatians 2.16 tell us? By works of the flesh, how many will be justified in God's sight? No one. No one. Verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age? This is Jesus, according to the will of our God and Father. So it's this Jesus that gave his very self, his very life, for the sake of our sins. That is love, that he should die for us. Romans tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were his enemies. We were enemies of God. We were straight-arming God. We had our fists at him. Like, you, you have all these things you want me to do? Forget it. I want nothing to do with that. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite. I want to be the one who gets all the glory. I don't want to give you any glory. That's who we were before Christ. But God breaks into our life, and he helps us see us who we are, for who we really are, that we're sinners, meaning that we have gone our own way, that we are not just. We can't justify ourselves in God's sight. He is the one who is perfect without any sin, and all of his ways are true. And so by God's glory, we have conviction of sin, we have the opportunity to place our trust. We have the gift of faith from God to believe in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, to look to Christ, who is the gift of God the Father to us so that we could come to know the Father more through Jesus. If we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. So Jesus gave his very self for our sake. And he did this to deliver and to rescue us from a time such as this. How are the, what do the times look like today? Paul references the, the Galatians' present time as being an evil age. Could we today say that our times are an evil age? Yes. When we look back to the days before Noah, what did the days look like? Everyone was doing what was right in their own sight. Does that sound like today? Praise the Lord for the church that can be Christ, that can reveal Christ to the people around us. And praise the Lord for his grace, 
that he gives us and lavishes us when we confess our sins and repent that he offered through Christ. And praise the Lord for peace that we can have in our heart, knowing that we're trusting in Christ and not in our own works. So Jesus gave his life in our place to be the payment for our sins, our sins against God, right? He did this according to the Father's perfect plan and will for us. That's where we can kick in John 3.16, right? God the Father loved us. He gave his son for us. His son paid the sin debt that we had accrued, and he paid the full sin debt. He didn't just pay for past sins before we came to Christ. He pays for all of our sins, present and future. Now, we can't and we never should presume upon the grace of God where we live a life of licentiousness, meaning we can do whatever we want because, hey, we have the cross. The cross is empty. Jesus is our risen Savior. He's the one who died for our sins, and we can trust in him. And you know what? God's grace is sufficient. Isn't there a verse about that somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. We never should presume upon the grace of God. That's what happens when we walk in habitual sin. We're assuming that God is just going to forgive us. 1 John chapter 3 has some stern warnings for us for those who actually practice sin. That it, it becomes their habit. It's a challenge that only we and God know is, are we truly saved? I look at my life and I see all these habits, all these patterns of sin. Some of these I'm not willing to surrender to the cross. These sins that Christ has died for and paid for. Grace and peace, do we take it lightly in our life? And were the Galatians doing just the same thing? So that's it. That's the verses, right? But if we look at some of Paul's other writings, we'll see that there's something that he doesn't actually mention in this letter. And in your notes, you'll see that that he doesn't mention, I thank God for you. And you'll see some scripture there. But I'm just going to read very briefly some of these, and I would encourage you to read those in the coming week, to meditate on the encouragement that Paul gives to these churches. And not only that, but to think about how Paul is regularly praying for these churches, for these brothers and sisters in the Lord, and how he's giving thanks to God for them. What an incredible testimony of a life, a faithful prayer life. So Paul, in his other letters, says statements like this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This was to the Ephesians. Philippians, he says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He goes on to the Colossians church and he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. He doesn't even stop there. In Thessalonians we read, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope, and our Lord Jesus Christ, even 
calls out and, and encourages them for the works that they're doing and the hope that they have, the peace that they have. In verse 6, Paul says this back in Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, a distorted gospel. One of the distortions that we looked at last week. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. Does this sound like a I thank God for you always? He's astonished. He can't believe it. I came, I spoke the gospel to you. And yet you turn to a different gospel. The gospel is the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. And to add or to take away anything from it is to leave it not as good, perfect, the good, perfect news that it actually is. So it could, this could be a point that you can preach or not preach. And I thought that the pattern in the rest of Paul's writings, that he continually references the ways that he's thankful. I believe that Paul was greatly grieved by the, <clears throat> by the Galatians. And especially because he had a testimony of being freed and released from this sin that they were now walking in. In this letter, we're going to read how Paul is astonished and perplexed at the Galatians' trust in a false gospel. He continues to hear of the, from the Galatians' churches what they're doing, what they're trusting in, how they're falling into religion. And what does he tell them? In verse 6 of chapter 1, I am astonished. 420, I'm perplexed at this false gospel that you're walking in. Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Paul says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And in chapter 4, verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. This tone carries throughout the letter. We read about it in chapter 1. We, we look at verse, or chapter 4, verse 20, and his tone is there. And as I said, in Galatians chapter 6, he starts to talk to them about how to address a brother who is falling into sin. At that point in the letter, Paul's believing and trusting in God's faithfulness in the life of these believers, that some will have confessed and repented, and that those who have confessed and repented of this sin will start to approach their brothers and sisters who have yet to recognize their distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the ways that they're walking in sinfulness by rejecting the sufficiency of the gospel of Christ. For us, when we see our brothers and sisters falling into the trappings of these distortions of the gospel that we heard about last, last week, do we act on our bewilderment, bewilderment with them? When others forsake the true gospel of Jesus Christ, are we astonished? Like, how could you fall into this? Or are we passive to it? We're like, yeah, man, there's a, a lot of people who believe that gospel. Oh, that category, oh, you're one of them. Yeah. 
Most importantly, what actions do we take? Not only should we take, right? We know what we should do, maybe. Maybe we need to be reminded this morning. We need to ask ourselves, are we actually in a relationship with the other that we can approach them in love and grace and have this spirit-producing gentleness within our lives and God's word and to come alongside them and say, hey, brother, I'm concerned for you. I'm concerned for you because you're, you're straying from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm concerned not only for the impact that it can have in your life, your broken fellowship with God, but you're going to live a life of discouragement, of despair, of depression. Why? Because they're trusting in themselves. How often do we let ourselves down? We do things we know we shouldn't. We live out Paul's testimony in Romans 7. He knows what he should do. What does he do? He does the opposite. He does that which is dishonoring to God. But praise the Lord. We have a Savior who is always there with open arms, ready to receive us, ready to receive our confession of sin and and ready to empower us for a life of repentance. Are we praying for those that we see in sin that they would actually see the truth? It doesn't have to come from us. It ultimately needs to come from the Lord. It needs to be a godly grief because we know, as Paul wrote the Corinthian church, that a godly grief produces what? Repentance that leads to salvation. It also sanctifies us. Paul says the Galatian churches, by ignoring the grace and peace, are what? There's a list there on the, on the back side of your handout. And before we break into this list, is this how we can be described for walking in the distortion of the gospel? And I know we're kind of doing a quick flyover high, highlight of this book, but it's important for us to understand what Paul is just laying on at their feet, the grace and the peace that comes through Christ. As he starts to walk through the rest of the chapters and, and call out the ways that they're falling into sinfulness and call, calls them to action amongst their churches, amongst the believers, to purge the churches. Is this how Paul might describe us for walking in any one of these distortions of the gospel that we had? And as Pastor James said last week, there's many more. And you can take any one of these and probably break it down into another 5,000 distortions of the gospel. The first thing that Paul says about the Galatians church in chapter 3 is that they're foolish and bewitched. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. No one wants to be called a fool. No one wants to have one pulled over on them, those who are bewitched. He goes on to describe them in, in verse 10 of chapter 3 as cursed. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If you're trusting in your obedience to the law, you're cursed. To be a disobedient to one command of God's makes you a sinner. Paul continues to describe them. 
as being held captive and imprisoned. Anybody like being put in a box? One with bars, one that there's no escape other than Jesus? For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone that does not abide on all things written in the book of the law. Goes on to say that before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Right? We were cursed. We were imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. But the faith was revealed to them. They heard the true gospel. They heard about Jesus. They heard that they could trust in Christ's work on the cross and wouldn't have to look to their own works as any kind of standing before the Father. He continues on describing them as being enslaved to the world. In chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, he says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. They fall into these religious rituals as if by obliging those who are oppressing them with them, they might earn favor not only with man but with God. Lastly, in chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, he describes as being hindered and persuaded. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. How many of us can be distracted? We look at our lives and we say, I'm running the race. But you're actually going the wrong way. The finish line is over here and you're going that way. Completely the opposite way. Any way that is not running towards Christ is the wrong way. doesn't matter what avenue you're in, whether it's an endurance race or a sprint. When you take your eyes off of Jesus, you're destined to doom. Are you walking in the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ and experiencing the peace of God? Number two in your outline, walking in the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is just a few do's and don'ts. There's extra scripture there for you to study. There's extra notes um, here because I know that some of you Koinonia groups are now starting to um, do a preaching um, pulpit curriculum, if you will in your small group time. And so um, utilize the passages that we give you there. And obviously, as the Lord leads you to others, um, please go ahead and use those as well. So just some of the do's and don'ts. Do know Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. First and foremost, know Christ. Now, is it enough to know Christ? Jesus himself said in the gospel, according to Matthew in chapter 7, said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Meaning, they knew Jesus. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, this is Jesus speaking to these people, declaring to know them, know Jesus, and do all these works. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
So we need to believe, number two. Not only believe, but we need to believe and trust Jesus. I put and trust on there because we can say that we're believing in Jesus, but are we trusting in him? Do we have faith in him? I can believe that that chair is going to hold me up when I go to sit down. But when I take that step of faith and trust that it's going to hold me up, I'm actually going to sit down in it and see its design and enjoy the beauty of, of that design as I am right now on the stool. <laughs> Do you believe and trust in Jesus? Paul, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, such an incredible chapter. For in this hope we, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So as you wait and as you rest in the Lord, be patient. The Spirit can produce that within you. Number three, do abide in Jesus as he abides in you. Do abide in Jesus as he abides in you. John 15 makes that real clear for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 11 again says, but if Christ is in you, Christ is in all who have believed in him, right? All who are truly saved. If Christ is in you, although, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Life, not only eternity, but eternity now in you. The do-nots, three of them for us. Do not add to the gospel, right? A distortion of the gospel. And we'll simply read again from Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or is it the Spirit who is perfecting you? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, right? We fix our eyes in Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter of our faith. Number five, do not take away from the gospel. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching. Don't take anything away from God's word. It's there for a purpose. Even the, the verses that are difficult to understand, even the verses that are hard to hear, even the verses that the Lord uses to convict us of, don't set it aside. God has a purpose for that in our life. And 2 Timothy 3.16 goes on with that. It's for our teaching. It's for reproof. It's for our correction, and it's for our training in righteousness. I know I need direction. And if I rely on myself, the direction that I have is going to be contrary to what God has for me. Paul, in his encouragement to Titus, says, Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. 
Declare what is true. Exhort others with it. Rebuke them with the authority that God's scripture holds. Number six, do not deny the power and work of the gospel. So we're to know Christ. We're to believe and to trust in Jesus. We're to abide in Jesus as he abides in you and in me. We're not to add to the gospel. We're not to take away from the gospel. And lastly, we're not to deny its power and the work of the gospel in our lives. Are you in a right place with God in your time with him, in your regular communion with him? I pray it's daily. I pray it's without ceasing your prayer life. Are you in a place where you will allow the power of the gospel to do its work? Its work of conviction, its work of direction, of correction. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 1 John says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The gospel destroys the works of the devil. He is defeated. He still has opportunity in this world to have his way, but he knows his time is short. And we cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. Number three in your outline, gospel reminders for us us to trust in. Right? We had truths that we started with. We're encouraged to be walking in the sufficiency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, Gospel, gospel reminders for us to not simply or merely trust in, but to soak in, to be encouraged by, to believe, and to abide in. Number one, we have a heavenly Father who loves us. This is true. Jesus, according to his Father's will, gave himself for our sins, for my sins, for your sins. This is true. His death delivered us, you and me, from the present evil age. To God be the glory always. Are we glorifying God the Father? Are we worshiping Jesus the Son? Lastly, amen. We affirm, we believe in the gospel, we rest in it, we trust in it, we walk in it. And corporately, we gather to worship the Lord Jesus Christ in agreement to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're reminded in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, that a person is not justified by works of the law. Rather, they're justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. This is us, the church in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and, Lord, for three simple opening verses to a letter. But, Father, in the weeks to come, we'll be springboarding into um, the ways that the church had grieved you, the ways that the church had taken away and distracted from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us, forgive me for the ways that I'm believing a distorted gospel, 
that I'm not trusting in the truth and the reality of my need for Jesus, not only for salvation that saves, but salvation that sanctifies. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus for today and for tomorrow and for all eternity. Father, thank you that you are an unchanging God. And Lord, as we look throughout the scriptures and we read of your faithfulness, your steadfastness, your long-suffering, I personally can say that I've experienced that applied to my life. But Father, we don't want to press into you for more grace. We want to press into you for the power to walk in a life of obedience, for a life that's marked by praise and glory, that honors you and honors the gospel of Jesus Christ, that is quick to, to point out our shortcomings and the ways that we have fallen into our own fleshly desires. And so, Father, I pray for any today who have yet to trust in Christ, who are still walking in the idea that somehow their works might make them a person who's good enough to get into heaven. Father, even our key verse, Galatians 2.16, reminds us that it's impossible to be good enough for that door to be open to the new Jerusalem for you. Father, may we only trust in Jesus. Father, may we confess our sins today. May we look to Jesus for salvation, for sanctification. May we experience the peace that can come from you by truly trusting in and walking in and abiding in Christ. We give you glory and praise. Lord, help us to leave here today convicted of the ways that we're falling short. But Lord, tomorrow to be refreshed in your word, to experience a new way of conviction, Lord, that we truly would see that our life would be marked by increasing holiness. Lord, help us to never fall back into the same sin twice. In Christ's name we pray, amen.